Taking action is the first step to change. The Shiv Show, an irregular podcast in a regular world. Introducing your host, Shiv Rad. What's going on, everyone? Now, this is episode 30, and episode 30 of The Shiv Show is huge. And I call it huge for a few reasons. It was honestly... A tough one to record, to, to being completely honest with you. I was literally holding myself back from tears. Now, not only was it a tough story my guest was talking through, but in the past, I've actually shunned the thought of depression. And, and today's episode is one where I get to interview my good friend, Zach Westerbeck. Zach is an amazing, amazing guy with, with so much to offer. And he's been through the rough, and he goes through explaining the rough during the podcast. I have to say that this podcast was a huge realization for me. Depression is real, and millions of people suffer with depression around the globe. Now, this episode is, again, a special one for me because it really did open my eyes to the reality of something like this. Now, if you are listening and you are going through something similar, please seek help. And throughout this podcast, Zach talks about a lot of the things that and, and, and may sound familiar to you. And if they do, please seek help. If you need someone to talk to, please feel free to message me, call me, email me. I will do whatever I can in my power to get back to you, and that is a promise. So without further ado, here's the interview with Zach and I discussing mental health and the importance of talking about it. Thanks. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 30 of The Shift Show. Now, today's episode is, is one that I've actually wanted to be recording for a while, and It just seems like the timing worked out perfectly right. Today's guest is a professional mental health speaker, a coach, and most recently became an author after publishing his first book, You're Not Alone. He's got an amazing story, and I'll let you hear it yourself. Zach Westerbeck, I am proud to finally welcome you to The Shift Show, my friend. It's been so long that we've been trying to plan this. Yeah, it's it's great to be on, man. And honestly, it's just I have to say it just kind of warms my heart to see you on on <laughs> camera right now because I feel like this has been a friendship in the making for years. Um, oh, absolutely. and I remember Yeah, and we met. It was so funny. Uh we I feel like such a little traitor right now being over Zoom uh, instead of WebEx, <laughs> but we our first time we ever met was over WebEx. Um I want to yeah. say it was like 2016. And I found you through, I don't even know if they still have that tool anymore, but it was like an employee connection tool. And we ended up having similar interests. I don't even know if you yeah. remember this or not. I, and I that's do. What yeah, I up, do. Yeah. It, and that's it, what it ended up by, connecting us. By chance, we connected. And then I think the first meeting we met, we were like, holy, holy shit. Hold on. Hold on a second. Like we're, our thought process is the exact same. Um, right. And then we kept, obviously kept that friendship for the, over the past four years. And uh, it's been great, man. I'm, I'm really really happy to see the growth that you've had over the past four years. And uh, it, it, it definitely makes me super happy. And I, I, I want to get into everything that you're doing. Um, absolutely. And I think that all the good things that you're doing out there in the world and talking about these really hard subjects, which we'll get into pretty soon, that's such a tough thing. And it takes such a tough person to do that. So thank you on behalf of everybody going through something. Um, and I, again, I definitely want to dig, dig deeper into that going, uh, going further. Absolutely. Yeah. And congratulations to you, by the way, I think I saw it was like a year of engaged, um, like a a little while back on Instagram that you were celebrating that. I never, I think, think gave you that shout out. So 
because uh, <laughs> I just celebrated my one year um, like a week ago. A uh, one year being you did, yes. So congrats on that as well, man. Too, Look man. at that. We're we're just we're just doing the same stuff in life. This is crazy. <laughs> Our lives are tracking, dude. I'm telling you, it's awesome. We should do a joint wedding. It'd be perfect. <laughs> I know. Seriously. Hey, it's an excuse for me to come to Australia. Let's be real. Exactly. Or an excuse for me get to here. come to California. Yeah, correct. Yeah, correct. seriously. Oh my goodness. I know. It's it, <laughs> it, I keep forgetting that nobody's traveling right now. You know, it's just know. like the, the quarantine has definitely done a number. Um, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but it's been weird here. It had, you know, we, we all look at the U S and I'm like, what, what, what's going on? Because it, it's such a big country and, um, and you know, it's hard to follow the rules with such a hard, such a large population with Australia. We have 24 to 26 million, I think around there. Um, it's, it's a bit easily controllable, right? So things are getting better. You know, States are opening up They're They're, they're actually, allowing us to do some travel before Christmas or for the Christmas break. Now, I don't know if we're going to do that, but, but it, it's good to see that the cases are actually diminishing. Um, but who knows yeah. we're getting into summer, right? If we, we may get back into winter in a few months and then that spike goes back up. So we're, we're, we're going to keep safe, man. We're keeping it safe until then. Yeah. Yeah. Same so. on this side. I think, well, what's been interesting in, in our country is just kind of the division to wear yeah. the mask or not to wear the mask. That has yeah. been the question of 2020. <laughs> That's the division um, in the world. That's the division right. in the world, by the way. So is that happening in Australia too? Yeah. Yeah. There's anti-maskers. There's, um, there's, uh, you know, people on the streets doing their, they're protesting. And, uh, you know, we mm. see that, we see that here and there, but Hey, you know what? That that's, there's always going to be, you know, 50% of the population, uh, saying that you're wrong or 50% of the population's against you, right? This is, you and right. I know, uh, it, you know, you're judged easily. People have different opinions than you. That, that just happens. Right. So, right. Um, and we'll get into, we'll get into the podcast very soon, but I do want to say this. Um, I was chatting with a friend yesterday on politics and I was trying yeah. to explain to him that regardless of what you do as a politician, half of the people are, are always going to be against you. You can do the very, you can do mm. the, the things most right. And people are still going to be against you. You can do some things very wrong and people are going to agree with you or be against you. So regardless, right. you're going to be wrong. So do, do what you think is right for, for the people. Um, obviously not all politicians do that, but at least the ones in right. Australia are doing an okay job. I so agree with that, by the way. And I really do think that that's a good point. And I think that's kind of a message for life, generally speaking, which it sounds like that was what you're trying to say to your friend. Yeah. It's like, some, no matter what you do. And that's what blows my mind is like, it can be the most <laughs> honorable thing. And there's going to always be a group of people who just don't agree with it. Correct. Um, and there's always going to be a group of people who do. So it's, mm -hmm. it is, it really is truly um, fascinating. And we're all people at the end of the day too. I think that's the other thing that we need to continue to try to ground ourselves in is just the humanity in it all. Like you can have yeah. an opinion, I can have an opinion and I don't need to now come at you aggressively to either try to change that opinion or downplay or belittle what your belief system is. Um, and I think yeah. politics is grounded in, in different belief systems, which is why we've seen um, for sure here in the States. And I think uh, in Australia as well, just kind of this polarizing uh, uh, behavior that's taken place. Um, and so it's just, it's interesting to see, but it's a good point that you, yeah. you brought up. I have so much more to say on that, but let, let's kick into, let's kick into who yeah. you are. Right. So 
You know, like I said before, this, this podcast is all about you. Today is all about you. And, and it's all about yeah. your story. It's all about your gift. And I definitely do want to discuss the book. But before we get into that, um, you know, I want to ask you, what's your story and, and, and what's your why? I mean, not why you've written the book, but why you've actually put yourself out there and, uh, and, and definitely go into your story and, and, and tell everyone that, I guess, the hardships that you've been through and, and the realization that you went through to start you on this journey. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you, uh, you asking me that I I'm selfish in the sense that I love to tell my story. I never get tired <laughs> of it. Um, but I also believe that stories are the, the door to opportunity and the opportunity mm-hmm. being changing somebody's uh, behavior. So if I can change one person's behavior from my story, um, that's, that's always the end goal. Um, so with that being said, uh, for anybody tuning in right now, uh, obviously Shiv mentioned I'm Zach Westerbeck and I was born in middle of America, middle America, as they would say here in the States, um, in Indianapolis, Indiana. And so I was born, uh, to two loving parents. Uh, I was, I have one sibling, uh, my sister who, um, I'm actually at my childhood home right now. So I'm getting right. all the feels, all the hometown yeah. <laughs> feels of growing up in the Midwest. Um, but for me, I, I think, it's important for me to mention this, that my childhood was, was largely, um, anticlimactic. There wasn't a lot of trauma outside of maybe just the normal bullying that all kids do to each other, you know, like nothing too, too, um, too crazy. And when I graduated from high school, I moved from Indianapolis, Indiana up to West Lafayette, uh, Indiana, which is about an hour drive North of here to attend Purdue university. And when I got to Purdue, my whole goal was to just find a community. I played sports growing up, and that's how I built my my support system. And uh, I, I'm not a D1 athlete, so that career ended, and it was time to kind of figure out what the next step was. And here in the States, um, we, we have what we call the Greek community, which is fraternities and sororities. And so I went down that path. And outside of a a very jarring breakup, which we can talk about that a little bit later if you want, because it actually did end up uh, triggering the set of events that later on occurred. Of course, I didn't know that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of that, I had a great university experience. When I graduated, I moved from Indianapolis, Indiana, down to Raleigh, North Carolina, to start uh, working for the tech giant Cisco Systems. And I was going to be in what they call this early in career program, which I mean, you're, you're a Meraki guy, you're, you're a technology guy. So, um, might be a little bit different. Uh, did you join the program when you were in Canada? No, but I joined directly with Cisco. Um, so not through the program, okay. but I joined, uh, yeah, directly with Cisco. Okay, cool. Was that in Australia or in Canada? That was in Canada or the U S that was in Canada. That was in Canada. Yeah. Okay. In, um, Toronto area. Yep. Toronto. Yep. Okay. You said yeah, it right I, I too. People the, people say Toronto and I'm like, no, 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 it's Toronto. Anyway, Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I, Hey, I, I, that was a roll of the dice there, but I appreciate that. <laughs> I really want to visit that city by the way. Um, oh, it's amazing. It just seems man. like such a, so fun, right? It is so much fun. Um, and I, I have questions for you, but I'll, I'll, I'll yeah, continue yeah. the story because <laughs> I do want to know what it, what it's like there in the summer and winter. Um, mm-hmm. but anyways, um, so I was in the training program, which as you know, and, and anybody listening in, I want to tell them about is roughly 30 to 40 kids your age, um, that joined the program and it's Cisco school. So you're, you're sitting in a classroom for, you know, five to six hours out of the day and you're learning about Cisco and then 
you're hanging out with everybody at night. And I'm still a very social person. I think I'm, 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 I socialize differently than I did back then. Mm-hmm. But in, in those days, um, the opportunities to socialize were after work, going and grabbing appetizers and drinks with um, people in the, in the um, early in career group and just building friendships. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I was doing. You know, I was hanging out with friends after work. We were socializing. We were playing pickup basketball. We were working out together. We were traveling to different parts of the state. And it was just, honestly, it was one of the best times I've ever had. And it was, it was very carefree, which is largely what my entire upbringing had been comprised mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. But right at about the nine to 10th, 10 month mark, something started to change with my brain. And all of a sudden I started waking up with what felt like a drum line in my chest. Uh, my palms were sweaty. My mouth was dry. My mind was racing and I'm 22 years old. I'm a 10 hour drive from home and I have absolutely no clue what is going on. And I can, it's just like, I can picture myself in the moment right now. And I just decided, okay, 2016 is right around the corner. I'm a sucker for new year's resolutions. I am going to do whatever I have to, to flip my brain back in my mind. My brain was just like a light switch. And I so distinctly remembered it. Like, I just believed that I had to just flip it back. And the way that I was going to do that was by ridding my body of all the toxins that I'd built up over the four years at Purdue. And then in this early in career program, because candidly to your listeners, I was, I took full advantage of all the socializing. So I was always involved in going to the parties and drinking back then I smoked cannabis. So I was like, I did all the partying uh, aspects I was a part of. And so I just thought I'd worn my brain out. And so at the beginning of January, my goal was, my idea was I'll go to the, I'll go to Cisco. I'll go to the gym after work. I'll sit in the steam room. I won't drink any alcohol, I'll stop smoking. And all I'm going to do is just flip my brain back to the way that it used to be. And mm-hmm. so I was super disciplined for 31 days. The only challenge is, is that at the end of those 31 days is that I didn't get the results that I was looking for. And yeah, I was going to ask, did, did, did you feel better throughout the 31 days or did you feel like you had to, to get to that 31 day point and then reevaluate? It's a great question. I did not feel better once throughout the 31 days, but what I thought needed to happen was I just, and I had created this arbitrary end of the month thing Mm -hmm. where I thought I just had to push through the line. Like if I just drove through Jan 31, that all of a sudden it was just going to be, because what I kept reasoning with myself is that, oh, well, four years is a long time to be partying and socializing and, and doing all of that. And so it would, it would be reasonable to assume that you need, maybe you need longer than 31 days. Maybe you mm-hmm. need a couple months to rid yourself of, of toxins and let your brain um, reset itself. And so the entire month, I'm completely in denial. And the only thing that's happening is that what I now know is anxiety was getting increasingly worse and a second emotion started to creep in and that was depression. And I'm not sure if you've experienced depression. I'm sure that, you know, just the statistics alone would point to it, but um, I'm sure that there are some listeners that are experiencing it right now. And anytime I travel the country to speak to university students, I always say I would never wish depression on my worst enemy. Mm. It is the most debilitating, um, challenging 
upsetting emotion I've ever felt in my entire life. And the, the best way that I could describe it is it felt like my brain was in a constant fog and everything around me had lost its beauty, had lost its enjoyment. I mean, the things that I once enjoyed were numb to me. And now in a matter of two months, I am severely anxious, deeply depressed, again, far from home, don't have the proper support system. I mean, I've got friends down there, but they don't know me super well, right? We've just gotten to know each other. And I am panicking now because Mm -hmm. I can feel it getting worse by the day. And so for the next couple of months, I did two things really, really well. The first of which was uh, portray to the outside world that everything was going great. You know, it's kind of funny because um, as we were meeting each other and expressing interest in a lot of the same things, I was severely depressed and anxious. Wow. You got to be yeah. kidding me. It's like, and, and that just, just that fact alone makes me realize how many people are actually going through something like this, but putting that mask on when they speak to you, right? Because they think that's the right thing to do. At, well, 100%. And like, yeah. look, you're, you're a corporate man. You get it. You're, you're a part of the, our massive elite sales force at Cisco. And you can imagine now this depressed, you know, 23 year old now at this point who is driving through rush hour traffic to get to the office, who's sitting in meetings with management and other stakeholders and peers trying to come across as professional, attentive, um, like I care about what's going on because I want to care about what's going on. I want to care about my career. And you're an extremely ambitious guy, so you get that. And now it's like, I'm legitimately putting on a mask at work, um, just, just to skate by. And so that was the first thing I was doing really well was hiding from everybody what I was going through. The second thing I was doing really well was living in complete denial at how quickly my brain health was starting to deteriorate. And -hmm. within a matter of months, I was, uh, having thoughts of suicide from the moment I woke up until the moment I went to bed. And so this is exactly what I was telling you about. This was driving to work. This was sitting in meetings. I'm having a conversation with you. We're, tra- we're trying to talk about strategizing with Cisco um, or Meraki in your case. And meanwhile, I've got this thought process running in my head saying things like, you know, you should just go kill yourself or wow. you're so miserable. You should just you should just end your life. And I'm a happy-go-lucky guy. Like, I love life. I love, like, I literally, Shiv, I don't like to go to bed at night because I want every day to last as long as it can. Like, that's, I'm corny like that. Like, I literally love, love life. Like, I I love it so much. (laughs) I try to stretch every day. And now, all of a sudden, I can't wait to go to bed. Like, I'm I'm coming home. I've got two roommates. Um, I'm throwing my stuff down on the ground. I'm trying to play it cool. And then I'm going to my room shutting the door, closing my eyes and just praying that I'll be so exhausted that I fall asleep. And, and did your roommates, did they know what was going on? Did you speak to anybody at this point, you know, after the, the, the year mark? No. So my parents, my mom especially knew a little bit of what was going on, but mm-hmm. I was scared to tell her because I didn't want to freak her out. I didn't want to tell her that I was having suicidal thoughts. And the other thing was, is like, I was meeting those thoughts with resistance. Like, Mm -hmm. it wasn't like, 
you should go commit suicide. And then I was like, mm, hmm, okay, that seems like it might be a good idea. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, hell no. And my heart would start to pound yeah. and I'd be scared. And I would just be like, <clears throat> like, why is like, why is my brain telling me this stuff? Like, why can't I stop thinking this? Like, I just want to be the old Zach again. I just want to flip my brain back mm-hmm. um, to what it was. And so, you know, I, I definitely didn't want my roommates to know what was going on because I myself couldn't articulate it at a level that I felt comfortable with where I could explain it to them and honestly feel safe. Like they wouldn't judge me. Um, and the funny thing is like, as I'm grappling with these emotions, one of my roommates, uh, who was a dear friend of mine lost his mother to cancer. So he's starting to experience depression and anxiety as well. And to be honest with you, man, he just wasn't as good at hiding it from other people. And I think that as men, sometimes we can be judgmental. We want us to, we want each other to be strong and to be able to push through challenging moments and to show any sign of weakness could be judged. And so I was, I was seeing some of that stigma come out. I was seeing Mm -hmm. some of that judgment towards him come out and it put fear into me. It was like, I do not care how low I go. I don't want anybody to know about this. And I just want to figure this out, fix it and put it behind me. That was Mm -hmm. my narrative back then. I just wanted this to go away, go back to who I used to be and, and just move on. And everything kind of came to a head one night and I talk about it in the book. Um, so I I don't want to give too much of it away. I think it's a powerful story, but I hit my rock bottom moment where I really thought that suicide was a viable option. And I remember falling into my apartment, curling up into a fetal position and just crying, like bawling. Like, can you think about the last time you like really had a good cry? Cause for me, yeah. I, I can't. I, I, and, and, and the reason why is probably because I tell myself, Oh, like, no, guys don't do that. Um, exactly. And it's just the way, and I want to get down to, to that, but continue, continue on. Cause I want to get down to the, the men having issues, um, doing these things, but uh, go on and I'll ask that question after. Yeah. And I had that same dialogue and it was like so foreign to me, but I was just exhausted. I was just so worn down. I was so tired of feeling the way that I felt and not knowing what to do about it. And that was the night I called my parents and told them everything, you know, told them I was depressed, told them I was anxious, told them I was having suicidal thoughts and that I just wanted it to stop and that I didn't know what to do. And they just, there was a pause on the other end of the phone. I think that they were, you know, number one, processing what I just told them. Yeah. And, and number two was, I think that they were trying to figure out what solution to present. And they just said, Zach, like, this is outside of our scope, but we know that you need help. Like this is, this is outside of what we can suggest. Um, but we just know that you need to seek help. And that was the first time I had gotten permission or even thought that going to a mental health care provider was uh, a viable option, something that I should do. And so the very next day I scheduled my first appointment with a therapist. It wasn't, you know, and we can talk about that too. She wasn't a great fit. Um, and I talk about it all the time in my speeches, but finding the right type of therapy is like the dating process. Yep. There's a little bit yep. of trial, a little bit of trial and error to it, mm-hmm. but I eventually did find the right psychologist. And in late 2016, 
I was diagnosed with a chronic brain disorder known as obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD, where the core symptoms are severe anxiety, deep depression, and thoughts of suicide. Mm -hmm. And I immediately started talk therapy. And look, man, I mean, I never sugarcoat it because I just think therapy is so important. Um, But it took me a long time. I mean, it took me a couple years of therapy uh, and there's, uh, for anybody listening, if you think you have OCD, the, the number one proven talk therapy and the only one that works is ERP or exposure and response prevention. So remember that ERP, um, exposure and response prevention. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, it took me years to relearn my brain. Uh, it took years for the talk therapy to really do its work and it worked and it, I mean, it works great. I mean, I've, I've, I've truly have never been better my entire life. Um, I'm, I'm telling you this before we started recording, but I'm so grateful. I've got so much mm-hmm. gratitude in my heart every day. Um, but it wasn't always like that. And it took me a couple of years to change my, my, my behavior, my lifestyle patterns. Um, and then it took me a couple of years to relearn how to love myself. Because mm-hmm. when I was first diagnosed, I was told that it was a chronic brain disorder, something that was never going to go away. There was no surgery and no pill and absolutely no cure. I could do this talk therapy and it would teach me how to live with this brain disorder, which, by the way, it impacts about 1% of the world's population. And, it's, and it can be extremely debilitating. If you get the right help, you can absolutely reclaim your life. But if you don't, it can be extremely debilitating. Um, and so when I left that first appointment, man, I was just bummed. Yeah. I mean, I cried the whole way, the whole drive home. I just, just like, cause it I, wasn't the right, it wasn't the right fit. And it just felt like getting it, there, it was really, there was some relief behind getting the news that there was that, okay, I now have a diagnosis and I do have like a recovery plan in this Got therapy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what broke my heart was the fact that, I just found out that I've got something that's never going away. Mm-hmm. Cause in my mind, I thought I was, it, it could go away that this was just a phase, you know, all yeah. of the old stigmas. It was just a phase. I just had to change a few things, Sh- shake it everything. off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so to get that news was, was tough. Um, but you know, when you have no other choice, it kind of makes the decision easy but for me, the problem was, is I was in total denial. So mm-hmm. for about a, a good year, the reason why I think it took me a couple of years is that for that first year, I was on and off therapy. In my mind, it was its own separate bucket. Like it was its own thing. It wasn't mm-hmm. who I was or a part of yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that it was this side of my brain that I could section off and deal with when I wanted to do. And what I learned through my journey is that's not how this works. Your brain is with you everywhere you go. And believe me, when all you want to do is escape (laughs) from it, you learn that real quick. (laughs) Correct. Yeah, man. So, you know, yeah. yeah. No, No, go on. on. I was going to say it just. All right, I'll go. (laughs) Thanks. Okay. Um, Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm just listening and, 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 I, I, it's almost like, I don't know what to ask you. And I, I do, I feel like I do have to, to, to come out and say something that's, that's actually really embarrassing and, and, and I'm being vulnerable. So please, please don't judge me. And it, it's not the way I think yeah. anymore. Um, yeah, of course, but it was the way that I used to think. And, and, and to be honest, uh, growing up, I used to, you know, I, wa- I always wanted to be a shiv, the tough guy. And I always wanted to be a shiv, the mm-hmm. strong guy. And, 
um, any sort of thoughts that went through my head, I'm like, no, no, that's, that's just crap. Like I'll, 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 I'll put it to the side or I'll never, I'll never dig that up again. And I, right. I got into this thing thinking that like depression isn't, isn't a real thing. Um, and right. I thought that for, for, for many, many years, uh, anytime. And my, my own family has gone through, through, you know, a lot of family members have gone through this and I was, I never listened. I was like, no, 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 you know, go out and go for a run or right. just be happy and it'll go away. And right. I never realized until, uh, and I actually wrote about it in my book, um, in a very short section, the, probably the, one of the worst times that I've ever been in was when I first moved to Sydney, I actually just went through mm. a really bad breakup and, um, I was sitting on my couch. I was by myself. My roommate was, was traveling and I couldn't, I honestly, I felt like I couldn't move. Honestly, I felt like I could mm. not move my legs and my arms. And, and at that point, um, I realized how sad I was and I realized how, how I actually did need to seek some help. Right. Um, and that's when yeah. I, I knew and I started showing an appreciation for, for, for this thing being real. So it's super embarrassing right. that I used to think like that, but I, it, it's almost the realization that you need because this stuff yeah. is real, man. This stuff is real. It's just, uh, I can't believe how, how much you were going through. Um, and the fact that you didn't want to say anything because you thought that was the right thing to do, not saying anything. Um, right. And, and, and I just can imagine you said 1% of the world that's, you know, how many millions of people are, are actually going through this that aren't saying anything or, or, or don't have the help that we have access to. And I think that's probably a reason why you wrote your book, right? I mean, it's, it's to give people an out, um, and to give people some help. So yeah, man, I, it just crazy, crazy what's going through my head right now. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's so real what you're talking about. I'm just, I'm just glued to listening to you right now. Well, I have a thought on that. And so I never want to meet shame with shame. So I appreciate yeah. you sharing. And that's not something you should be ashamed of because you experienced a moment of growth. And I'm an advocate. And, I'm, and mm -hmm. I speak this in front of thousands of students at this point. I once had the same mindset, too. Yeah. <laughs> I remember a guy in college coming to me and telling me he was depressed. And I took him to our front lawn, turned him back around to face the house because we, we lived in a big fraternity home. And I pointed at it and I said, what do you have to be sad for? Look at where we live. Yeah. He has since read my book mm -hmm. and we had a long conversation because I called him to apologize. Yeah. And we talked about that. And then he just talked about how grateful he is for this book. He's read the book through and he said, man, this would have been exactly what I needed in college when I was dealing with depression. But mm -hmm. until sometimes until you go through it or you're opening, open to hearing a story, how else are you supposed to know? I mean, I thought it yeah. was just a weakness. I thought it was like, you just couldn't like, okay, you're super sad. Like, all right, just get happy. Like yeah. it's not yeah. that hard to be happy. Yeah. Get happy. Like that's literally what I was telling myself. Just get happy. Just, but right. How do you do that when you're going through this? I mean, um, and e even still, even till today, and that's why I'm, your book hasn't arrived yet, but it's, it's on its way. Um, yeah, and I did read, obviously I, re I read the edit version but I, 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 yep, I yep. do want to understand more. Um, and I was actually talking to my fiance about your book as well. And she's super interested to read it. Um, and, and we always talk about this. And sometimes we go back and forth on, on what depression is and how depression starts. And I think that right. this book is going to be um, exactly what people need. From what I've read in the, in the edit version, this book is going to be exactly what people need who, who don't believe that it's a real thing or 
So people right. that are actually going through this to realize that, man, you know, I do need to seek help. This is not just a phase. This is real. And it may right. be with me for the right. rest of my life. So how do I, how do I work on this now? And, and you, you mentioned one point and I'll let you go on. Sorry. I'll just, I'll just mention this one point. Um, you mentioned that you put the therapy into a bucket on the side and you kind of left that out of your, mm. your life. And I think yep. the realization of, of therapy being a part of every bucket in your life or being part of that one bucket that encompasses your entire life. is so important because without that, you cannot go on and, and, and live the rest of your life. Like this is on the side that depression is with you and therapy should be with you as well. So I, I just really like that point that you made. Well, you just gave me chills because I think that was one of my biggest, I'm still getting them is this is one of my biggest realizations in my life is that there is only one life. I think we like yeah. to bucketize things and mm-hmm. silo things off in our lives. But the reality is, is that there is only one life and everything yeah. flows in and through your life at all times. And so recognizing that it's a holistic picture, all of it, because the therapy is going to impact how you think and your thoughts are going to impact the actions that you take and how you treat people and how you show up in your life. So everything is interconnected. Yeah. Um, but it's, I just can't emphasize enough just how important therapy is. And I think getting diagnosed with a, a brain disorder where I can literally talk to a guy in Florida who calls me three weeks ago with suicidal thoughts, all the same symptoms, talk him through everything that he's experiencing and him go, dude, I need to get off the phone with you. I literally don't even know you. And I feel like, you know, everything about me. <laughs> that is how the same it is. So how could yeah. you not say that it's not genetic? You know what I mean? Like yeah, this, yeah. this dude is, has no relation to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And he's in Florida and I get, you know, I've talked to people from Australia, New Zealand, India, Canada, the UK. Mm-hmm. So when are we going to start looking at this as, you know, and there's many components, but there's also a genetic component. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I didn't believe that until I went through it and just started realizing, oh my goodness, like, this is it, <laughs> I, like, you're a complete stranger and you've gone through the exact thing that I did. Yeah. So it's just, it's very interesting. I, I do want to go back to, to, to this question. I asked you this before men's mental health or, or brain health, as you call it. Um, yeah. It's the unspoken actuality. Why do you think that men, I guess we'll go into more detail on this question. Why, why do you think that men have in particular have more trouble talking about this stuff? And, and then a, a side question, part B, as I like to do, um, you know, when you told your parents, were, were you, were you more nervous to tell your dad than, than your mom? Man, you, you that's two fantastic questions. That second one is, it's, it's going to be the answer that you would expect. So, um, so I've actually taken some time to think about this. And if you look at 2020 and if you, you look at the last decade, Mm -hmm. there has been this slow, steady climb in the transfer weight transformation in the way that men communicate with each other, like less and less, we find it cool for guys to take advantage of women or um, like date multiple women at the same time. We find loyalty more attractive. We find Mm -hmm. a man who shows up for his family, his friends and his women more attractive than ever before. We find Mm -hmm. violence to be less and less attractive. But if you rewind the clocks to 1910, am I feeling comfortable talking about my mental health when 
we've got racism on the table at a high level, when we've got uh, when we've got uh, war, war wars yeah. getting ready getting ready to take place, when mm-hmm. the the standard and quality of of life was just so much lower. So it doesn't surprise me how slow this climb up the hill has been. But now that we're in 2020, where the standard of living is is the best it's ever been, it still exists. But thank God we're continuing to knock down the barriers of racism at every corner and every site Mm -hmm. or every possible way. We are bringing women into the workforce at a at an exponential rate thank god i mean it's so silly that we site you know siloed them off right it's but we're so doing silly. all of these things correct mm-hmm. yeah we're doing all of these things and so um yes men are carrying these these habits because i think it's generational but when you and i have kids by the time they're adults like us dude they're gonna they're gonna talk about this stuff like it's like it's nothing and yep. Even all it takes is guys like you and I sitting down to have these conversations to build our bond and make it more comfortable so that you can go out and have these conversations more and more um, with your friends. And so, yes, it still exists. Yes, I think it's still challenging for men. When I think back on the history of it, I get it. Mm-hmm. There was, quote unquote, bigger issues or we yeah. were all going through something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, who's going to sit around and talk about their feelings when you're, you and your buddy were in the same war and saw yeah. the same shit. Yeah. You've you know lost I mean? a limb. Your friends lost two limbs. What are you going to talk about this stuff for? Yeah, exactly. I get that. I get that. Mm-hmm. So I just think that thank the Lord that we're just, we're coming around to that. Um, and, uh, the other thing would be, I was scared to tell my dad, yeah. I just didn't know what to say to him. Uh, and it's funny cause every guy I speak to always goes to their mom or the, the woman in their life first. Yeah. I should say every straight, every straight male that I speak to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I speak to, I speak to all types of individuals. I love everybody. And I think that, um, it, it doesn't matter your race, your orientation, your age, anything I've spoken to every type of person. Um, but it is funny how, uh, I would say straight males have a tendency to go to their woman or their mom first. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I was thinking about this as I was writing some questions down to ask you, um, you know, my, my dad's passed away now, but if, if I had gone to him with this, I, I actually, and my dad's a super loving guy and, and, you know, he was, he was amazing, but I still don't know how he would react to, to something like this. Right. I, I actually don't know. Right. I don't know if he would tell me, son, suck it up because my dad was a tough guy. Or would he yeah. say, you know, we're here for you. I, I, still, I still don't know. And I was thinking about that um, last night when I was writing some questions down. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, always, it's always a tough thing, and it's always a tough thing to talk about. And, and being vulnerable is, you know, yes, it's being – you're right. It's, it's, it's the new norm, right? Being vulnerable is a new norm. Right. Or we're pushing to the new norm, but people still right. struggle. Um, I, I do have a question for you, and this is going back to something you wrote in your book, and I thought it was, I thought it was perfect, and because you, you put it in, in super layman's terms that you actually thought you were going crazy at, at some point. Yeah. You, you thought you were going crazy, and what do you have to say to people out there? What advice do you have for people out there that are thinking the same thing, that they're just going crazy? This is just a phase. Great question. I, the biggest thing is that people just need to understand, um, the, the symptoms. And once you understand the symptoms, you realize that they're medical in nature and it's, 
they're different for every person, but they're more or less the same. And what I mean by that is like, there are a set of symptoms and behaviors that people with depression are going to experience. Generally Mm -hmm. speaking, there are a set of symptoms that people with anxiety are going to experience. And that's the same thing um, with some of the more severe mental illnesses like, uh, like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's the same set of symptoms um, for everybody. Now they might come across a little bit differently and everybody might handle them a little differently, but generally speaking um, the symptoms remain the same. And so once you realize that these are medical symptoms Yep. that could be diagnosed by a doctor and then be treated by a doctor. Um, it, it just becomes so logical to say, well, this doesn't mean that I'm going crazy. This just means that my brain is experiencing anxiety and depression. And once I go onto this treatment plan, I can begin to heal myself. Yep. But when you're in that place, it can feel very scary, especially when you're experiencing it for the first time, because mm-hmm. you, you lose a sense of control over your brain. Because more or less, and I talk about this in the book, our brain health is a continuum. So it's something we all fluctuate back and forth on based on different factors in our lives, like our genetics, the daily stressors, things that we go through in our day-to-day life, and Mm -hmm. then significant events like death, divorce, breakups, major illnesses, um, anything of that nature. And so we are going to fluctuate. But generally speaking, somebody who's not feeling anxious or depressed can manage their emotions. You know, it's things aren't going to be completely baseline. I mean, there are some people who I feel like are always baseline, but then again, it gets back to that mask. You know what I mean? They could be experiencing all sorts of things and they just don't Mm -hmm. want to show it to the outside world. Um, But when you're, when you're depressed or anxious, it might all of a sudden feel like your life is totally out of control, that you're not able to easily balance your emotions. And that is really, really scary. But mm-hmm. once you understand, can label and identify the symptoms, that should bring a little bit of peace of mind. And then the next step is just getting onto a recovery plan, whether that be um, a combination of medication and talk therapy um, in, in conjunction with lifestyle changes. Uh, you'll start to chip away. And what you realize is underneath those feelings is, quote unquote, and I use this just for people, layman's terms, to understand your normal brain. The side of you that's always there and is still there. And that's what I learned through my own journey. And I liken um, depression to clouds dissipating. The sun coming out as the clouds begin to dissipate. And I was able to see and feel things clearly again. But when I was in that that depression, it felt like I was never going to get out of it. It felt Mm -hmm. like I was just going to stay in this fog forever. And I'll touch on that too. I think the big thing... The difference between somebody catching the flu and feeling depressed is, you know, in a matter of a couple weeks to a month, you're going to start to feel better from the flu. What I think Mm -hmm. is oftentimes scary with depression and anxiety is you start to feel those emotions and you don't know if there's an end in sight. Mm -hmm. And that can be really intimidating. Yeah, absolutely. That's a question for you. Actually, it's, it's more of a selfish question. Um, because I'm thinking about what you just said. Now, a lot of times I get a lot of heat on, on Instagram and, and Facebook after I would make a post about positivity. And, and you know me, I've been trying right. to just spread positivity for, for years and years. And that's what I do. Now, right. a lot of people hit me back with, you know, it's not easy to just 
be positive and it's not easy to do. And I, I get that right now. Right. From your perspective, am I doing anything wrong, doing anything wrong there? I mean, I, I know that I cannot fix depression, for example, with, with a post, but I do right. believe that whether you're going through a depression or a really bad time in your life, that you still need to seek help and you still need to seek some sort of positivity, some, something that's going right. to make you have a more positive outlook. So from your perspective, cause you're the, you're the, you're the pro here. Am I doing anything wrong? Is, is it offensive? Opinion, like, yeah, it's it's not offensive, and this is this is what this is what I'll tell you is I think that when people are in that place of mm. depression or anxiety, they will read a post like that. Two people can read the same thing and take two different things from it, and right. a lot of times it depends on your inner state. And so I think a lot of people who are feeling depressed or anxious might read a post like that and roll their eyes or want to comment at you and say, well, that's easy for you to say, you don't feel the way that I feel. And to them, I would say, I completely understand what you are going through because, um, I've obviously been in that position and that is why my posts do two things at the same time. They, they give open space and non-judgment while also getting people to do positive things like, seek therapy. So I think if if your posts are giving people an action to take to cultivate positivity, that's a really, really great thing. And ultimately, Mm -hmm. anybody who wants to live a balanced life does have to cultivate positivity in their life. And that is through taking actions in the form of seeking help for therapy, in the form of meditation, which I meditate every single day for 10 minutes a day, Mm -hmm. in the form of physical exercise, in the form of reading self-help books that um, teach you different ways to cultivate positivity in your life and then finding the right relationships because you do have to cultivate positivity. If you're in a bunch of, if you have a bunch of crummy relationships with people, a bunch of shallow friendships, that is something that has potential to bring more negative emotions into your life. And so it it would be reasonable to assume that you would have to do something to then begin to fill your circle with more mm-hmm. positivity. So generally speaking, I don't think you're doing anything wrong. I just think that people, they, they're always going to meet you where they're at. And mm-hmm. if you do want people to, to be positive, providing them with some of the, okay, I want to be more positive. What are some things that I can do? And for me, I always lead with seeking help because yeah. therapy yeah. to me is, is one of the most positive things you can do. Now you mentioned just now relationships and friendships, and I think this is a, a huge part of, of of you know what you went through and, and what some people are going through. So let's talk about who you surround yourself with. I know you've got an awesome fiance. Now, yeah, you also so talk do you, by the about. Way. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, she's she's great. Now you also talk about in your book that if you tell a friend that they're going that you're going through something and they don't understand you or they try to flake it off then maybe you're not hanging around with the right people. And I think right. that's such an amazing point because I talk about surroundings in my book and I talk about it in every, every right. speaking session that I do. Your surroundings yeah. are so damn important. But what advice do you have for people that cannot let go of certain people in their lives? Because that, that's definitely a tough thing to do. And sometimes these people might be your own family, like really close family and really close friends, but they're just not healthy for you in that space. What advice do you have for those people? 
Yeah. What's most important is that you assign people roles in your life. But I also think it starts with turning inward. Why, why is this person not a good fit for you? And of course, turning inward to me starts with therapy and meditation. Um, Those are the two big things. So starting to cultivate an awareness of your thought process, how you see the world, because the reason why I say that is somebody could be a good fit for you, but the way that you show up in the world makes it so that they're now the villain in your, in your eyes, Mm. or they're not a good fit for you, but that's because you've got layers of your own trauma that you need to work through and go through. But again, it's never about shame. It's always about help seeking. So for me, it's, it's a little bit of both. It's in the short term, it's seeking therapy and then making informed decisions based off of that. And so really with family members, what I talk about is if you don't have a supportive family member, don't waste all of your time and precious energy um, trying to convince them that what you're feeling is real, that mm-hmm. what you're going through is valid. Don't spend all of your precious time and energy trying to get their support because to your point, um, and I really appreciated you being vulnerable about your dad, because honestly, that was one of my biggest fears. I had no idea who my dad was going to be to me mm-hmm. after I told him what I was going through. And that was really scary. And I'm fortunate that he was supportive, but let's say that he wasn't, I would have had to assign him a, a new role, a different yeah. type of role in my life. And it wouldn't be one in which I spend my time talking about my depression and anxiety with him. Maybe he's somebody that I just do activities with. And I talk about this a little bit in the book. When you're building out your roster, you want to look at first starting out with your rock. Mm -hmm. And for me, my rock is my fiance and my mom. And basically what that means is that those are the two people on the face of the planet that I can tell anything to. And I know that they just want to help me out that they just Mm -hmm. want to take care of me. And so for anybody listening, I think the two biggest components when you're building out your team is finding somebody who's your biggest cheerleader. They genuinely want to see you succeed and they're non-judgmental because life is messy, man. And we're human. So we're not Mm -hmm. perfect. And you need people that despite your flaws, just want to see you win, just want to see you be the best version of yourself. And so, you know, I talk about it in the book. There's your rock. There's the genuine person, which is just the, you know, the person that you can have deep conversations with, just kind of be your authentic self around. There's Mm -hmm. the comedian. And I've got that friend. That's just the person that we might not talk one bit about my anxiety or depression, but man, can this individual make me laugh? (laughs) You're just happy when you're around them. Yeah. Yeah, correct. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, The exerciser, you know, so there's all these different Mm -hmm. roles. Um, but to the person who, who's struggling to find their support group or they're struggling to find the right people, just mm-hmm. know that relationships are built slowly and over time. Um, and we don't certainly need to be aggressive and just cut people out aggressively and cancel people. But if somebody is, is really showing up with bad energy and is not being supportive and you leave those interactions with them feeling heavy or less than or unsupported, might be a sign to, to just let those conversations drift away. And I've done that with certain individuals in my life. It it wasn't aggressive, Mm -hmm. um, but it was necessary. And it doesn't have to be bad blood. You're right. It could literally be, you know, 
just just chill out on, on talking every single day or every single week and let that phase out. And I think that, you know, I had to do that a couple of years ago uh, myself and, you know, it was tough, right? These are people that I probably spoke to every day and, and that I thought were one of the best in me and, you know, throughout my process and throughout my, my, you know, my role taking and role giving, um, I realized that they're not healthy for me in my life. And it was the, probably one of the hardest things I had to do, but if I didn't do that, I would be in a very different spot than I am today. Totally agree. And I think one thing that kind of starts to manifest it over and over again is the big one I would look out for too, is any sort of negativity or jealousy towards you. Like as you start to do, as you start to recover, as you start to uh, carve out new friendships Mm -hmm. or start to achieve new things in your life and you start to, to really do great things, is that person happy for you? Or are they, you know, dragging you down, blowing you shit for hanging out with such and such or, or, you know, going for that promotion? Because maybe what it really is, is that they're scared that if you continue to shine, that they're no longer going to hold a place in your life. But that doesn't mean yeah. that you need to dim your light. Never Correct. dim your light for anybody. And, and, you know, just on that, I talk about comfort zone a lot and I know it's, it's, yep. it's a, it's a fancy word, but it, it is true. And, and. I always say there's two comfort zones. There's your own comfort zone, and then there's the other individual's comfort zone. Now, right. you may be stepping out of your comfort zone and rising and rising and, and, and you know smashing your goals, but the other person's comfort zone is there. And if you're stepping out of their comfort zone where they're not comfortable seeing you, they're going to try to pull you back into their own comfort zone. And that's where you have, that's where the hard part is. That's where you have to be pretty stern on saying, I'm not coming back down there. I've done all this work to, to rise up. Either you come with me or we're going to have to find a new friendship or relationship. So that's, that's essentially the, um, the aspect, but uh, sorry, man, I'm looking at the time and I know you're a busy man. I have a billion more questions, but I'll, I'll only ask one or two sure. more. Um, yeah. now I want to talk about quickly just giving yourself permission. And I think you, you mentioned that a few times before, but I mm-hmm. want you to talk about the, the importance of that. And in your book, you wrote about the, I think when you, your fiance and yourself moved from New York back to, back to Cali, you felt mm-hmm. like the depression was coming back. Um, yeah. Now the only reason you got over that was because you gave yourself permission to talk about it. And I think that that alone right there is so strong because you have your permission, you gave yourself permission. And I always talk about when, when people lose, want to lose weight and, and, you know, gain, regain their confidence back. It, it is also about giving yourself permission to do so. So what are your thoughts right. on, on, on that whole process? 100%. I love that comparison. And it is, a, it is permission at its, at its core. And the, the first piece of permission is recognizing that it's okay to not be okay. Yep. And as human beings, I think that it can be tough. It can be tough to accept that, to, to look in the mirror and say, I'm not okay right now. Because I think a lot of times we, we want to deny those types of emotions. So recognizing it's okay to not be okay but what's not okay is to not do anything about it. Yeah. And so the second piece of permission is starting to build the muscle of vulnerability, which I talk mm-hmm. about in the book, which is a muscle just like lifting weights because it's something that you get better at in time. I'm mm-hmm. way better at being vulnerable now. Like I'll get off this and I, I won't be in my head at all. I don't, you know, I was open. I shared my truth. And, you know, maybe the very first one years and years ago, I would have been in my head. Did I say the right yeah. things? Yeah. Is he going to like me? Did he judge me? Will the people like mm-hmm. it who listen? 
And so vulnerability is a muscle that you build over time where you become more and more comfortable with who you are as a person and your story. Um, and you, I know that you love to talk about getting out of your comfort zone. And I, you know, I talk about it a little bit in the book, and this is also something that was always thrown around Cisco, which is just get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's really where the growth happens. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that starts in, in therapy and then grows from there, but you need to give yourself permission to start opening up and telling your story to those around you. Um, you don't need to silo off this whole, uh, side of your life and feel like it's something that you have to deal with all by yourself. And, you know, for the longest time, I just felt like this isn't my fiance's problem. This isn't my family's problem. This isn't my friend's problem. This is my problem. This is something that I need to deal with on my own and figure out on my own. Mm -hmm. And I liken um, emotional buildup to a tea kettle. So if you put the tea kettle on the stove and it starts to heat up, what's going to happen? Eventually, that steam has to find some way to release itself. Mm -hmm. And so when you open up and talk about how you're feeling, what you're going through, the challenges that you face, that's you just letting out the steam in a healthy way. But to be sure, that steam is going to find its way out one way or another. And Mm -hmm. it it could find its way out in drug and alcohol use. It could find its way out in unhealthy behaviors and actions. Mm -hmm. It can find its way out in saying something to somebody that you didn't mean because you've been building up your feelings of depression, which has led to frustration. And now all of a sudden you're blowing up on somebody for what feels like no reason at all. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is vulnerability is the greatest healer. I mean, I think I'm in the place that I'm in because I get to tell my story two, three, four times a week. Yep. Yep. And I'm always, I'm always brushing out the cobwebs and I'll be real with people when I give a speech in real time. Hey, this, this last Friday, I was, I had to take a mental health day because that's what I needed. You know, just to give an example, right. Saying, saying what is, yeah. Because why would I deny what my truth is Correct. to myself or anybody else? So I really appreciate you bringing that up because um, for men especially, vulnerability is a strength. Yeah. It's not a weakness. And it has so many benefits. It really is. And, and a book I'd like to recommend is uh, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Oh, I've read she, it. It's a great book. Oh my gosh. Literally from page one, she talks about vulnerability and until I read that book, I was like, ah, you know, you know, I, I love speaking and I love, you know, presenting and I love doing all that stuff. And ever since I read that book, you know, maybe six months ago, I've been way more vulnerable. And 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 arguably, I was vulnerable before with my story and my book and 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 in right. that process. But now, I've realized the strength behind vulnerability, right? The strength behind telling the truth, the strength behind admitting that you know you do have an issue and there is a problem, but. There's strength behind that. There's confidence behind that. And I finally realize that now. So listen, man, I, I'm, I'm going to let you go. I do have one final question for you. Um, now you've launched your book. It, it's been what, two, about two and a half weeks, three weeks, maybe. Yeah. 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 Now in, in, in that time, what has been the, the best sort of feeling that you've gotten, uh, you know, within the, within the past two and a half weeks? It's a great question. Well, I was telling you this before we started recording, but I mean, it's just gratitude. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's not like artificially pumped in gratitude, although I do believe that you have to look to cultivate gratitude every single day, but just deep, um, natural, unfiltered gratitude for the ability 
to help others and hearing about that through the messages that I receive in individuals who have read the book and said, I really needed this right now. Um, and some people saying, I didn't even know I needed this, but yeah. it's so nice to know that whatever I'm going through right now, I'm not alone and that um, I can cope and recover from symptoms of anxiety and depression. And you laid out a nice, simple path to finding the right therapy mm-hmm. and talking about the lifestyle changes that I can make. Um, and I think everybody takes a little something different from the book, which is, you know, I really appreciate how thoughtful your questions were because it's a reflection of what resonate, what resonated and spoke to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me right now, I'm just sitting in, in gratitude for the overpouring support and then outreach from people who, who are the first, like what I call the early readers, you know, the ones that picked it up and read it in a, in a, in a couple of weeks and are already starting to share their experiences. So I lied. I do have one more question for you. That's Um, fine. (laughs) I love it. Very simple one. And, and I think you like this. What, what does Zach want to be remembered by? I want to be remembered as a guy that brought hope to the world because hope is the seed of life. And without hope, you have hopelessness and hopelessness is a really, really dark place. And I know that from experience, but hope is the light at the end of the tunnel that pushes you to take that leap of faith, go schedule that appointment with that therapist Mm. who maybe you don't think can do anything for you at all, but you're willing to give it a shot. Hope is calling that friend and opening up to them about what you're going through and putting faith in the fact that they'll listen to you. Um, Hope is the ultimate path to recovery. And so I just want to be known as a guy who spread hope. And if I could be known for anything else, it would be compassion. I think we need compassion more than ever before. And compassion is simply uh, being uh, loving towards people and trying to see uh, life through their lens. Um, and so that's, that's really what I'd like to be known for. That was amazing, man. Thank you. Thank you for that. You could, you concluded it perfectly well. Um, listen, Zach, I I just want to say that I've learned so much over this past hour with you and I've known you for what, four over four years now. And I've just learned so much from you in this past hour, uh, vulnerability, you know, you're oozing that, um, the fact that you're speaking your truth is, is just so amazing. And I think more people need to do that. And you've inspired me to, to talk about my feelings, you know, a lot more than I do at the moment and talk about these things. So listen, thank you so much. Um, you know, I was literally borderline emotional listening to you. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's crazy that, you know, people are going through these things and right. no one's talking about it, including me. And I just want to say, man, as, as a friend, Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I've, I've learned so much from you. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for giving me the, the platform and the opportunity. Absolutely, man. Let's keep this conversation going. I'd love to have you back on here again. Um, and I cannot wait to get your book. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, awesome. man. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Don't forget to subscribe, share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For more information, visit shivrad.com. Peace. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind.